You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Auzubillahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And welcome uh, to the Thursday's Drive Time Show. You are joined by myself, Salman. And brother Raheel, assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum Good to see you. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, uh, very well by the by the grace of God. Um, as always, um, we are going to be talking about two topics today uh, over the next two hours, inshallah, God willing. <coughs> the first one is in regards to the NHS and whether it is too late to save um, this establishment within the UK. And the second one, brother Raheel, is about Islam and what Islam says about human fundamental human rights of course exactly so we were speaking about this in the second hour mm-hmm. um, but getting started um, NHS is celebrating 75 years of service um, or has celebrated rather in the month of July this year um, but obviously the, the, the question is whether the NHS is actually being celebrated uh, today or not I, I mean uh, we, I remember that during Covid for example um, it, it was every Thursday mm-hmm. maybe that, that we used to get out yep. and, and, and clap um, <laughs> for for the NHS I mean in, in my opinion that, that, that wasn't really for the NHS but, but for the workers that really put in mm-hmm. everything they had to, to save lives <coughs> there, yeah. there are many question marks around the NHS, um, the, the the system that that that's been established over the past seventy five years, mm-hmm. um, the amount of staff we have, um, how much um, financials are going into this, and how much more should be going into this. All these topics have been discussed, are being discussed, but obviously the question really is whether this um, needs a major change. Now. A bit of history for our listeners. Um, after many years of effort, um, the NHS ca- came into being in 1948, mm-hmm. uh, spurred on <coughs> by several individuals who believed that the current healthcare system was inadequate and needed to be reformed. And I think we have a similar sort of opinion now that we are in 2023. NHS started even before the structure of DNA was discovered in 1953. Um, some of the milestones, um, the first successful cardiopulmonary bypass program took place within the NHS in 1958. Mm-hmm. In 1979, <coughs> the first successful bone marrow transplant on a child took place at Great Ormond Street Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, the NHS has been a vital and a much, need, uh, much needed throughout the 75 years. However... Since 2010, the performance has not been the same, mainly due to limited funding. NHS strikes took last uh, place with more healthcare staff strikes announced to be in October. And many leaders and experts say that the NHS is on the verge of collapsing if it hasn't collapsed already. No doubt. I mean, um, the NHS, um, the National Health Service has never been in, you know, uh, sort of the worst state that it has now mm, mm. and each day sort of brings you know further reports of another crisis and a you know sort of a crumbling system that we see yeah. you know ever closer to collapse mm. right and yeah. 
I was reading an article before coming. It's from Perspective. Um, it's a magazine. They're saying that more than ten NHS trusts have declared critical incidents, meaning normal services are scaled back with some non-urgent procedures postponed uh, indefinitely. And um, you know the British. Medical Association, the Society of Acute Medicine and Royal College of Emergency Medicine, they reported that exhausted staff are desperately trying to keep up with demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how can that possible? How can they possibly cope when, according to Matthew Taylor, who is the chief executive of NHS Confederation, um, this, this was written back in um, February, actually. Mm-hmm. The ongoing crisis is fueled in part, at least, by the long-term issue of more than 130,000 NHS vacancies. So wow. the so people don't want to join, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. considering considering the you know um, the amount of work that is required of these people. Yeah, and you true you truly see it. Yeah, well, whenever you go true. to the hospitals and to the appointments, and you know you see the nurses working long hours, and um, but yeah, it's it is quite a depressing. Also, the the state. Um, reward um, from a financial point of view. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it is good. That you receive all the praise and the prayers from the people, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, you have to go home and and you have to feed your family and you have to feed your children, etc. Mm-hmm. When you see what those, uh, I mean, these 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 basic uh, NHS staff members are being paid, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that, that, that's <coughs> one of the main main reasons why most of them are just walking out. Not because up. if if you cannot reward the hours that are, that are being put in mm-hmm. and uh, on top of that, people leaving means that the people remaining behind have to uh, catch up for the other hours as well. Yeah, and that just creates such a vicious, vicious circle. Yeah, which is really unbeatable, no doubt. I mean, the public support has, uh, uh, you know, has remained strong for, you know, if you see the you know, the pay increase strike action that we've seen taken by staffs from, you know, sort of every uh, health sector, mm-hmm. you know, including nurses, we said junior doctors, midwives, paramedics. Yeah, you know call handlers to um, medical technicians everybody um, you know have been out there you know yeah. raising uh, ra- raising awareness but yeah. uh, the Prime Minister uh, Rishi Sunak and, and of course the Health Secretary they don't really um, sort of pay heed to these recommendations uh, because they've according to them that that they've got they, they've got independent you know a, you know peer review body telling them that um you shouldn't go 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 ahead with that based on the circumstances that the country is going through. Yes, so sometimes we are, I ask myself, who are these experts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. if if someone, uh, I mean, a a layman like myself, can watching from far away assess this the situation and tell that people are struggling. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy just just come up and say that, isn't of it? Course. We've, of we, course, we. We spoke to the independent body, you know, who've done the review and have told us that look, yeah. this, uh, this is the right amount of pay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> right, that's, that, that's it. it. You've that's it. Uh, yeah. But 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 the point is, the reality is that NHS and you were saying is, is you know is such an establishment that that's that's at the very core of what UK actually is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and people really respect it, yeah. you know, if you're very honest, and they they cherish it, yeah. especially when you go down, you know, when when you go to any other countries with with, with you know. Life, you know, with medical insurance bills and all of these things, you realize how big of a blessing it actually is. Yeah. Uh, and when you live it, you don't realize it. But when you, when you do go abroad, you you find out the the bill for just calling an ambulance, let's mm. say in the US. So, oh yes. Oh, you know, yes. you realize that 
you know how 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 important this this Absolutely. this organization actually is i think w- <coughs> once we are speaking about the blessings um <coughs> um so yeah you were saying mm-hmm. that yeah uh, i mean the 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 pay gap these days right it is mm-hmm. is becoming such an issue back in the days we would say that third world countries um there is a massive pay gap so there are people that are going to be super rich mm-hmm. and then there is somehow there is no middle class as such and then it just comes down to people that are really str- struggling to to get by right mm-hmm. the uk is is heading towards such a dilemma as well right Yeah, so yeah. it's it, it is becoming a very similar sort of situation here in the UK, and th- this is something that again the decision makers, and including yeah. the prime minister and 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 the health secretary, etc., etc., they need to be looking into this stuff, mm-hmm. and they they need to be, I mean, really put their foot down and be like, look, if if we are going to be carrying on with this, mm-hmm. and uh, because obviously one thing for sure, the NHS is cherished by by many, mm-hmm. and as you rightly mentioned, if you go outside the UK. and uh, just to call an ambulance i mean l- look at those bills 100% i mean as you were saying earlier i mean you know that that so called uh, independent survey um so called independence you know of the pay uh, pay review body yeah uh, you know that has also been been you know been called into question because the chair of the group as well as you know other members were actually appointed by the prime minister and the secretary of state themselves yeah so how is it how is it independent at the first place exactly and you know the the health secretary has has basically conceded that ministers are not obliged to pay to accept peer review board body recommendations and they're not legally binding mm-hmm. um and you know if you continue with this um, at the end of the day you know you 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 realize that you know at the height of the covid pan- pandemic when you know the prime minister stood in downing street you know mm-hmm. alongside the uh, prime minister at the time boris johnson applauding cheering our nurses right mm-hmm. and they were the he- and they were sort of portrayed as the heroes of the nation yeah and now you know while these doctors and nurses are you know exhausted and are seen you know uh, breaking down in tears in hospitals car parks after losing lives and stuff like that mm-hmm. um you know the the applaud has 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 basically stopped Exactly, and is you know is is replaced by most is mostly replaced by government silence and you know refusal yeah. of uh, yeah. you know refuse refusal to budge. So, so I think it's it's quite de- it's quite depressing. Um, you know the state in which the N- NHS is in right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the, I mean the question is is it is it already too late? Are we witnessing the final sort of painful death Look, throes of the NHS? If we talk about the experience that most of us have made already in the, mm. the past few years, you go to the A&D and you are sitting there mm. for at least six to eight, maybe ten, twelve hours, right? Yeah. So you go up there and, and the first thing it says, big capitals, six hours wait, mm. right? Someone who came to the A&E is is definitely someone who's who's struggling, right? Yeah. When he or she sees that, that's it. I mean. I have myself seen many people just just walk out and they're like, "Look, after an hour to, I can't take this anymore. I'm just going to go home." Yeah, and 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 the funny thing is, right? I was <laughs> I was driving one day and sort of parked my car, right? And I saw these two elders mm-hmm. um, discussing, you know, the friends, and they were saying basically these. Um, These immigrants have come over and they've just <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've taken uh, you know all of our appointment times and, and stuff like that. So, so, so at the end of the day, it's just a easy cop out, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and, yes. and I think the major, I mean the you know the, you know, the saying goes, "Alawamu kalanam," right? Yeah. As, as you know, the people are like, 
um, cartoons in, in yeah. a way they don't know what the reality what is the reality people is. don't look into these things very yes. you know very deeply yes. so i think um we have um our guest caller back on the line which is who's a nurse activist working in the nhs from spain um thank you very much for being with us and welcome to the drive time show yeah hello hello thank you for having me uh, thank you for taking all your time today for us. Um, now, y- you having worked in the NHS for over 25 years, which is commendable, um, can you share the key differences you've observed between the NHS then and now? Uh, yeah, obviously, when I came um, um, to, from Spain to UK, the NHS was quite different. Um, the the, the <coughs> patients um, that they were in the war, they were not as poorly as they were now. Um the, the length of the stays and the, the, the patient's stay is shortened, but they need a lot more intervention. I mean, when, when I used to be a nurse and I used to have eight patients, I used to have two of them that they needed um, more or less constant care, but the other ones that were more or less recovering. Nowadays, right. when, if I have eight patients, I have eight patients that they constantly need my care uh, because uh, they, uh, most of the recovery then, they go, they go home. Uh, the the all day care surgeries have increased significantly and everything, and, and uh, um, uh, also do we have a lot more elderly people who uh, have multiple conditions that, that you need to manage that that we didn't have before, and also the the, the resources that we have also um, they are less. We need to do more things with less uh, less resources and less staff. That's uh, mostly the the difference uh, between them and now. Mm-hmm. And um, now, obviously, as I said earlier, you, you have been with the NHS for 25 years and you're a seasoned nurse, if, uh, if we can say that. Um, do you feel that your contributions over the years have been recognized and valued within the NHS? Um, I had plenty of opportunities and I, I think so. <laughs> I think that um, um, my contribution, um, you know, um, they've been, uh, I've been... Um, involved with other projects uh, if i knock at the doors the doors have been opened for me um, i cannot say uh, that because i'm uh, from overseas i've not had the same opportunities as somebody from, from the uk and i mean i'm for example this year I've, i have been shortlisted for the patient choice awards and also uh, i'm shortlisted for the uh, some of my projects for some of the best awards i mean i i feel that if you all hard. Uh, and, and, and you know the system and everything. Mm-hmm. That's also the key, is to uh, have some allies and have uh, some mentors and everything and, and ask for help. And I found it that NHS have, have, have given me a lot of opportunities. <coughs> it's not been easy, it's, it's, it's been hard, but um, I, I think I make uh, a difference uh, to the NHS system to make it better. Interesting. And with your involvement in um, you know sort of various projects and campaigns, uh, do you believe that these efforts are making any meaningful differences uh, within the NHS? Um, well, I became a nurse because I wanted to make a difference. And mm. to be honest, uh, it's getting more and more difficult to make a difference mm. uh, because the volume that we have, also, we, uh, it's not a secret to everybody that we are understaffed. We are short of over 100,000 people in the NHS, mm. uh, and, and a lot of them are nurses. I mean, we are working for a lot of... Uh, uh, a, a lot of pressure, uh, and also our salaries have uh, basically not not um, come up at the same uh, rate as the inflation. I mean, we are earning less money than I'm earning uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but 
despite that, you still can make a difference. And, and I don't want to lose the hope that uh, to make a difference to the patients. And, but as I say, because the patients at work, I don't have the time uh, at the moment uh, mm-hmm. that I will love to spend with each patient and to do the personal care that I used to be able to do 20 years ago. Now, is uh, most of my colleagues that I used to do tasks to make sure that we do uh, the, the, all, all that we need to do that day, but no longer we can uh, do personal care that everybody deserves. And it's, 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 it's now a bit like a conveyor belt or on a, on a manufacturer that one patient comes from one side and you do some tasks and then to make sure they come out or other end with no harm. And that for me, it, it's, break, breaks, it's breaking my heart a bit because I don't want that. I want a care system where uh, we have fully resources with plenty of nurses and also uh, uh, plenty of, of uh, of, of of clinicians and, uh, and and proper IT systems and everything, where um, then we can spend the time that each patient deserves. Because at the moment, I think it's a false economy. Uh, the, the lack of investment um, is also costing more money in the long run because the the number of mistakes the nurses are doing because we are tired uh, have increased, and that means the litigations have increased. Uh, mistakes cost uh, not just. Uh, um, and money also costs people's length of stay, stay in the hospital and everything. Uh, and, and all that adds uh, to, to a bill that if we put the right staff at the right place at the right time, we'll, we'll, everybody will be a lot happier. Uh, and, and, and that for me is a mistake that the moment the, the guru is making <coughs> is not to do a proper investment in long term. In long term. There's plenty of studies saying that if you have the right number of nurses, and then you save lives, and the, the rate of death is reduced, and it, it costs less money in the long term. Right. Now, you, you came to the UK from Spain to, to pursue your dream of nursing. Um, was there ever a moment where you maybe questioned or regretted that decision? Well, there's been plenty of times. Uh, nursing is a, uh, goes up and down and everything. Um, it, it was difficult. I underestimated the the different culture between Spain and, and the United Kingdom. In Spain, um, um, I used to live outside. You know, everything is sunny, everything happened outside and, and on the streets. And uh, I mean, here, when I came to the UK, I made a mistake to come in November. And from November till April, it's, it's, it's completely dark. And, and and then it took me a while to, to adapt because one of the things that I think the NHS is doing, the mistake is because all my skills that I brought from Spain, suddenly they, they meant nothing here in the UK and I also was fed up that I couldn't be the nurse that I used to be in Spain. And yeah, for the first two or three years, um, I, I got some regrets that I wanted to go back, but there was no way back because there were no jobs in Spain. And then I adapted and then I fell in love with a woman, with an English woman and everything and all this history. But there's been dark moments, uh, like I presume like anybody in any profession that you just want to pack it open and change profession. But there's also been moments very, very rewarding that I will not change uh, uh, for anything in this world uh, uh, to be in an order. The feeling that you have and the power that you have, you can transform people's lives with, with your knowledge and your actions, uh, for me, is priceless. Thank you so much. And lastly, given the sort of ongoing issues within the NHS, what motivates you to you know, continue working for it? And, and, and also what keeps your dedication alive? I want to make a difference. I want to uh, every pop, everybody who uh, I come in contact with uh, leave 
uh, they leave me a bit better. Um, I'm no longer a frontline nurse, I'm now taken to education. I mean, I'm trying to transmit my knowledge to future people mm-hmm. who's going to work in the NHS. It's, <coughs> it's just, uh, I don't want to give up in the NHS because I believe in a society where uh, and you have free access to health and you don't need to ask for for your credit card before you mm. you can uh, you can uh, you, you can get treatment. I don't want to live in a society that money is more important than than, than people. Uh, and and we're heading this way that way. And I, I hope that's why I'm fighting. That's why I have a lot of activism and uh, and, and I talk to programs like like this one and other things to try to make sure that we don't lose the NHS uh, because we we're at risk at the moment that uh, these fantastic health services we may not be with us a lot longer if we don't appreciate it and fight for them amazing um thank you very much um for for being with us and we really did learn a lot and especially from a historical point of view how things have changed over the past um 25 years and thank you very much for for being with us and Good i wish pleasure. you a lovely day ahead thank you bye bye yeah thank you thank you for having me thank you, thank you so much bye bye so we were just um speaking with um Juan Laplana who had joined us um who came from the spain to the uk 25 years ago with a dream and the dream was to become a nurse and work for the nhs so this is the 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 prestige the NHS mm. had 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean anyone that goes into this sort of field is not and I think one of the things that really struck me was the last thing he said that um you know I don't want to live in a society where money is more important than people's lives or you know more more important than people where you have to take out your credit card before actually you know being able to be treated. Yes. yes. So I think this is the intention and it says a lot about the person um you know Mm-hmm. um that's that's uh you know that's in people that are involved in this pro, you know profession but before we, before we move on we we only have about half an hour to go so if any or any of you that are listening want to contribute and come in and say uh you know whatever you want to say with regards to this topic that we're discussing do call us on 0208687878 is the number your your opinions are always important yes definitely now um as we were speaking about some of the issues yeah that are being faced by the NHS now um one thing obviously we have mentioned already is the um insufficient funds which mean less staff um chronic understaffing which leads to another issue which is the increased workload on those who are working as we mentioned earlier yeah um there is an increased pressure on GPs and long waiting lists especially in the AND now with the GPs what was happening you're not getting appointments if you do get an appointment you you probably just ask you to wait and the gp will call you sometime after 12 pm mm-hmm. and then the call will last over uh, maybe an hour or so sometimes you ask to send a picture of whatever <laughs> it is that that you want to show to the gp right so so many things have gone remote as well especially uh the Very the, yeah. the post covid There's um, a new app called Enigma and if you've heard of it no I've heard of so it So that so RGP they now you can't even call in now mm-hmm. so you can't call in to get an appointment and all I mean everybody has to now sign in unless you don't have internet access and you know mm-hmm. you have to tell them and they 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 won't even pick up your phone yeah for a very long yeah. time and then and you have to give in you have to fill this form in it's a tedious long form mm-hmm. and then after that you have a chance of you you know being contacted by uh by someone from the you know from the gp practice yeah, and then yeah. and then the appointment being booked and then you'll be able to see but i think we're not having a go at people at 
the GP practice. No, not at all. Not no. at all, no. um, because we appreciate, you know, the work that they do and yeah. you know, uh, you know, the issues that they are going through uh, with regards to insufficient staff and funding and all of that. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, this the, this is our issue. We live we live in this country. Um, you know, we we appreciate um, you know the blessings that we have, mm. and hence we're dis- discussing it. Yeah. And, and and we want for it to change. So it's it's not some sort of a rant or you know, complaining. Oh, oh no 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 not at all. Um, now as I was going on, like <laughs> the the problems that the NHS is facing. Yeah. Uh, it's the NHS also. Um, the you're, you're always focusing on problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, so what we do here no, at the Voice of Islam is we we bring the problem, but we also have some sort of some solution, solution, right? Though, yeah, I agree. So, so, so the solution um, <coughs> in 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 this uh, world um, for, uh, from a worldly point of view, mm-hmm. as well as from from Islamic point of view, is that the leaders, the people in authority, need to take responsibility. They need to make the right and wise decisions, and the the betterment and uh, the benefit of the common man no doubt. should yeah. be the utmost priority right mm-hmm. so uh, as i was saying the uh, number of beds mm-hmm. uh, in the nhs is the lowest number of beds per head in europe and this number has been declining since, since 2010 mm-hmm. all the issues are linked and it is a sort of a domino effect eventually leading to to the gradual uh, <coughs> necrosis of the nhs another mm-hmm. issue which is not necessarily linked directly to uh within the institution is aging mm-hmm. currently 3.2 million people over the age of 80 in uk expected to reach 8 million by 2050 mm. that that's more than double yeah. of of people above the age of 80 and we unfortunately are still trying to cope with the same amount of hospitals and beds etc Now an aging population means more health issues uh, to treat such as type 2 uh, diabetes dementia etc um now another question is is striking and withholding service the right way to protest what do you say real um i think um peaceful protests are not prohibited you should be able to uh, you know voice your opinion on matters but none none of the sort that we see with regards to climate change and stuff <laughs> no, we, we don't yeah exactly we don't sort of support those in any you yeah. know anywhere form where you know a woman is going you know to drop off a child to the school and then you know, she's um, held by you know these people and she's or people that are late to work especially in the economy that we're living in yeah um yeah i mean there's uh, striking and withholding service but the point is there's always good and bad to everything now the point is that in the sort of so called in the in the best possible world you wouldn't have to strike and you know these no, no. these uh you know um politicians will actually listen yeah you know yeah. without the striking because what happens is that when nurses and um you know doctors go on strike of course it has you know it, it has an effect on you know on on the nhs and the issues that that they already facing mm, mm. Uh, but then you ha- and then you have you know these politicians and you know others that come on and would would blame the doctors and nurses that look you know they're not they're not you know sort of serious or that they don't care about the you know uh, that they 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 should stay in yeah so i think this is this is what it is but you know the country that we live in it, it, it gives it the right to you know protest peacefully uh make make your point 
Uh, and I think that's about absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we also had a second guest caller, which we have um, interviewed earlier on, and we will play this clip for our listeners, which is Rachel Power, who is the chief executive of Patient Association Group. Um, let's hear what Rachel had to say to us. Welcome, Rachel, to the Drive Time Show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, So as an organization, you work directly with the NHS and its patients. What are the most common concerns that patients have shared with you? Thank you. So the most, um, our most recent patient experience survey found that over 66% of respondents were struggling to access the services that they needed. That included getting a GP appointment, um, our difficulty in contacting services within hospitals um, and long waits were uh, a real critical issue for patients um, waiting to, and some patients struggling to access any services at all. Um, but what we did hear from patients as well was that when once they got through the the difficulty around communication and access, that when they got to their healthcare the professional, the relationship was um, really good and it was a really trusting relationship. So once they were getting treatment, it, it's good. Um, but, you know, that communication between the NHS and patients is an ongoing issue um, and our helpline regularly. So we have a national free phone helpline uh, that can be accessed on 0800 345 7115. Um, and we, we hear a common theme on there around communication and access. Mm-hmm. Another issue that's going on with the NHS currently are the strikes. So with the strikes going on right now, how has that affected the patients? Well, you know, there's a really long waiting list within the NHS at the moment, about 7.8 million. And, and you know, the strikes um, have caused a huge percentage of, of appointments to be cancelled or delayed and we're coming into into winter, and winter's never a good time for patients or the NHS. So we're very concerned about strikes. So we are calling on the government and the BMA to get back around the table and try and come to a solution before winter hits. Because patients tell us that strikes have caused huge anxiety for them because they're worried that surgeries or treatments are going to be cancelled. Um, but we worry that if those treatments are cancelled or delayed, um, then the people's health might deteriorate. Um, so, you know, patients have had a dreadful time since the pandemic. And, you know, we had long waiting lists before the pandemic. And the strikes are just, it's just adding another dimension to that. Mm-hmm. So what is, how are you improving patient care? And is it different to the care that the NHS provides? So we don't provide care, we provide information and guidance with the goal of giving patients the power to understand the system and and make sure that they can access the services that they need. So we believe in patient partnership. We believe that patient partnership will result in a better outcome for patients. It will result in higher quality, better outcomes for healthcare professionals but also a more cost-effective service. So we look at principles like treating patients as equals, ensuring patients are fully informed, the shared decision-making and patient partnerships is used as business as usual, and that inequalities and inequalities in access and care are recognised and that patients' input are, is, is listened to across the service. 
So that's what our helpline does. Um, and we do that as well because we, we are a membership body. So individual patients can sign up to become a member of the patient association and, and actually join us in focus groups and patient experience surveys so that we can take what we hear to government and to the NHS to hopefully make for affecting change to make sure our services are better for patients. Great. So what are your views on private healthcare? Do you see it eventually surpassing the NHS? No, no, we don't. Um, what we believe at the Patient Association is that everyone has a right to choose where they receive treatment. And and that, that includes the private sector. Um, so um, wherever patients receive their treatment, our expectation is they are treated in safe environments and be full, by fully trained and qualified staff. Um, so whilst people will use private sector and the NHS is using some of it um, to support the recovery, uh, the, the whole principle of the NHS being free at point of access remains really strong with public and people really believe in that. So no, I don't see that private healthcare will, will take over the NHS. The NHS will be protected. Um, and it's about accessing care free at the point of treatment. Lastly, in your opinion, how can the NHS improve patient care? So I think there's a range of ways, but I think, you know, we spoke earlier, we talked about information and accessibility, and we need to make sure that partnership between the patients and the system is happening and the patients have the knowledge and the information to be able to navigate the NHS. We really think that it, it, communication around treatments um, is, is really, really, really need, needing to improve. But also the shared decision-making needs to be happening as a matter of course. And when we talk about shared decision-making, we talk about thinking, you know, working with a patient and understanding what matters to them, what's really important to them. They are the experts with their health. Um, so we want to make sure there's better tools out there to support shared decision-making and that healthcare professionals have the time to practice shared decision-making. We think the culture within the NHS needs some needs to be worked on the culture and leadership to make sure that not only are staff listened to when they raise concerns, but that patients are listened to when they raise concerns and that those concerns are acted upon. So they're all the things that we think need to come into play. Um, but that's why we want patients to come and work with us so that we can really understand the other issues that patients think need to be worked on to improve the NHS. Thank you so much, Rachel, for having joined us and given us some time out of your busy schedule. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. Okay, brilliant. You got that, okay? Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. So this is um, an interview that um, we had with with Rachel Power and um, really explaining us and giving us great insight into the system and really how to make things better around here. Um, Feel free to give us a call if you want to share some of your experiences with us or you have any feedback in regards to the NHS and maybe some sort of um, maybe you have some solutions in your mind maybe you have some ideas how we can um, 
things change around. Um, the number to call us is 0208-687-7878. That is 0208-687-7878. You, you can also um, speak to us on our socials. Um, is at Voice of Islam <coughs> UK. That is at Voice of Islam UK. Um, Rahil. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at this um, sort of a report that was published in uh, January this year from um, Institute for Government. And Institute for Government is, is, is basically the UK's leading independent think tank working to make government uh, more effective through their uh, in-depth analysis and you know expert uh, commentary on issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so in their report... Um, you know, it's, it's it's again. You know, some of the facts that you were mentioning it reiterates those facts. But it says that uh, uh, in responses to the pledges set out by the prime minister, the, the the paper found that increased increased NHS funding, which meant that in inflation and probable uh, 2023, 2024, and 2024, 2025 pay award hikes means NHS is still likely to experience a lower real term uh, rise in spending than forecast in 2021. And then it said that 7,000 new hospital beds, uh, an additional 7,000 general and acute beds now would mean that there were still 7.9% fewer than in 2010. Oh, wow. That's See? Wow. So to bring capacity back to 2010 levels would require some 16,423 GNA beds. Mm-hmm. And beds also, of course, require staff to work on them mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and a resource that is in short supply at the moment with more than 133,000 roles uh, or 9.7% of the workforce vacant in September 2022. And then it also found that 700 million of funding uh, for social care discharge, sort of you know, providing funds on a short-term uh, you know, emergency basis like this makes it, this makes it hard to spend that money effectively as it is difficult to ramp up social care capacity in a matter of months. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, recruiting more doctors and nurses, as you were speaking about it earlier. Uh, while there were 27,807 more nurses and 12,000 uh, more doctors, you know, let's say, uh, were working in you know hospitals in August 2022 compared to March 2019, an increase of 13.4% and 12.1% respectively. Uh, retention has arguably never been worse meaning that the service is experiencing some of the highest vacancy rates on record with almost 1 in 10 posts unfilled. So wow. this, I That's mean, this new sort of, you know, IFG paper f- found that Sunak was ambiguous enough in the wording of his speech, you know, for example, the Prime Minister referred to both waiting times and waiting lists, mm-hmm. right? That he will be able to, uh, you know, that, that he'll be able to point to almost any sort of improvement anywhere in the service at any point between now and the election as, you know, as a promise kept, right? So this, mm. this was from, as I was saying, from Jan- January 2023. Uh, yeah. And it says, however, people's experience of the health, uh, health service is often deeply, per- deeply personal and many will base their judgments on much narrower set of performance indicators than the prime minister's. So the paper basically warns that the crisis, you know, will be repeated next winter, which is a winter to come. And if the government does not take immediate steps to improve performance in the NHS by addressing the crisis underlying uh, un- underlying causes of poor staff retention under investment in in, in, in you know in capital mm. a lack of effective management inadequate community and also social care provision 
and a poorly resourced primary care service. So these are, you know, some of the things that say, you know, so yeah. in essence, the, you know, the, the press release underscores uh, the IFG's concerns about, you know, the, the, the government's response to the NHS crisis and the need for an immediate action to prevent a recurring crisis in the future. Wow. So 10% of yeah. what's, uh, I mean, 10% um, posts are still vacant. Yeah. If you talk about the, the, the nurses and the doctors, mm. which is shocking. Yeah, no doubt. Right? If the beds um, in, in comparison to 2010 are, are less than what we had, that, that's, that's, that's yeah. 13 years ago, right? And if you compare it to what you were mentioning earlier with regards yeah. to, um, you know, that 3.2 million people over the age of 18 in the UK expected to, you know, reach 8 million by 2050. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of tells you that it's, if, you know, immediate actions are not taken, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. But unfo- unfortunately, you see, the, the, <coughs> there there is a trend here. Now, the, this paper that you just mentioned is from early this year, yeah, which, which was a warning sign for everyone, including the the government, mm-hmm. that look, winter is coming up in uh, six, seven, eight, nine months. Do something about it. Mm-hmm. Nothing's been done. Mm, that's the point, right? So most likely we'll, we are going to see a new paper come out next. January, February, March sometime warning us about another winter and this is just going to keep going unless really um, so, sort of immediate action is taken on something but uh, uh, unfortunately this is not something that I am see the seeing point is why you have these vacancies Salman is the fact that people are not interested Yeah, this career is not no more attractive to people mm-hmm. right yeah. think about it you know the crisis that people are going through the amount of hours they need to spend yeah. and the only people that go in, in, these, in this type of work is those that are really passionate about serving, you know, man, mankind, which is, of course, you know, the rights of mankind is 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 is, is the next hour's uh, topic that we're going to be discussing yes, further. Yes. But the point is, the point is, the government need to have such policies in place where, and one of the main things, whatever you say about it, pay is going to be the key factor. Yes, it is going to be the key factor. Whatever you say about it, of course, right? If someone spends eight nine years of their life, you know, to become a doctor, and then all all of these years, I don't know how, how long it takes, right? Mm-hmm. And they're starting off at 25, 30, 25k or less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and this, yeah. an Uber driver earns more than that, right? Yeah, it, that's true. It, let's let's be very honest about yeah. it. So this is the thing. This is where this is where it comes down to. The, you, you you can say whatever you want about it, yeah. but that's the reality. It it comes down to pay. The the reward um, these um, practitioners, um, these GPs, were getting a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. right? So if if you go through history books. <coughs> Yep. You'd see that the regard some of these uh, jobs were getting. Yeah. So I'm talking doctors, teachers, yeah. professors, etc. The respect they had within society, the regard they were getting, the rewards, mm-hmm. uh, not just financially, but mainly financially, was so much higher than what it is now. Yeah. Right. So if a, a youngster today is being told that, look, you can easily make mm. something north of three and a half, four thousand a month. Hmm. Why is he gonna go struggle, um, go university, do his bachelor's, master's, PhD, right? Then um, his 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 placement for another year, yeah. and then start off at twenty five k. Why would he go for that? Hmm. That's the point, exactly. So that's again uh, something that needs to be looked at, and also from an Islamic point of view, again, yeah. Islam emphasizes on these things. That look, reward needs to be according to your effort, yeah, and according to what the person deserves. 
especially in 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 times of 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 such crisis it is uh, uh, i mean it is so much more important mm-hmm. to understand the issue and then come up with 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 the real solutions and not just talking about independent experts telling you about some sort of survey okay hopefully hopefully you know we're able to um you know fix it but the way it looks to be honest with you is just a lot of talk and nothing is is actually being mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh yes. done at the end of the day it comes down to funding yeah and and the two things are funding and you know more staff yeah that's what it is more beds more staff more for funding it has to be and it has to be done in a very you know um clever manner mm. right i don't know how many billions was spent on tr- track and trace and all of that yeah people criticize it of course yeah why so you know there has to be scrutiny on these things that when you spend you know that much money on things which some you know people can argue on this thing what i'm saying is that that they need to realize and there has to be scrutiny of where the funds are being spent and yeah. you know and and just somehow because this is public money exactly to and be honest with these you these things are somehow being brushed under under the carpets for 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 some reason the i mean we're talking about the 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 track and trace uh, there is the test kits for example mm-hmm. um the accuracy on on on, on those test kits has has been very questionable at times yeah yet no one is willing to look into that and i mean just just make sure that there are policies in place for future mm-hmm. that that m- those are, uh, mistakes are just not repeated right mm-hmm. but i mean again as you said it's it seems like it's it's just all talk and we will yeah. uh, after every, every crisis someone will come up uh tell the nation something and then we're just going to go back into this uh, vicious circle which we really want to get out of yeah it says that over the next 5 years every patient will have the right to online digital gp consultations yeah and redesigned hospital support which will be able to avoid up to a third of outpatient appointments saving patient 30 million trips to hospital and saving the nhs over 1 billion a year in new expenditure averted let's see i mean yeah. let's see um how how that works because one of the thing with healthcare is and other people you know like one it was wasn't it one juan yes juan who yeah. who joined us yeah why he joined the nhs was not to be on a computer right yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's to interact with people and, exactly. and and to you know to help them and and um, you know um and this this is one of the biggest factors that 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 is missing right now mm-hmm. you know um with this online digital you know consultations and you stuff. see Juan mentioned this this thing i mean this is what what he said is he misses the most is the fact that he is not able to spend time with these patients to communicate to um really um get to know them mm-hmm. and this is something that that uh, was happening uh, a few years back and on the other side if a patient has the time mm-hmm. to physically sit down with his gp and mm-hmm. explain to him how he or she is feeling about uh, about the health etc yeah. that really takes away so much of of that 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 illness already no doubt. right now that i'm being rushed on a phone call my my gp maybe has what 2 3 minutes to to speak uh, with uh, me and and it could be a misdiagnosis mi- mi- mis- exactly which requires much more you know uh much more low looking into and more time being way way, exactly. way wasted and stuff exactly so you 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 think that you're saving time because i tell you like i i had an experience this was a recently changed houses and stuff but i had an experience with one of the best experiences this this is a sri lankan gp uh, where i had to take my daughter in Mm-hmm. and the amount of care and attention she gave mm-hmm. within that 15 
you know, a minute or so that she, that mm-hmm. she gave. Mm-hmm. I, I, I said, I applaud you because I've not been, because every other GP, my experience has been in and out. Right, right. right. Yes, <laughs> as soon as yes, you go yes. in, yes, yes, what's up? Yes. She asked about her, you know, her history, what's happening. Okay, it could, it could be possibly this, explaining what you could do. And that made her feel so comfortable in us as well, you know, seeing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think this is something that I think people, it's, for me, it was the first time experiencing that. And this is what yes. people must have felt like, let's say, in, 30 40 years ago when they went to the G Absolutely yes yeah. yes exactly. So this is a big element that's that that's mi- mi- mis- missing in 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 you know in the healthcare and of course that's not to do you can't blame the doctors and the GP and that's because they have a quota that they have to go through yes, yes. you know f- with you know within that day Absolutely I mean b- back in the days when, when 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 we were still uh, children I remember uh, the the local GP would actually know the the family on a on a personal level not not very personal, but the, he would still know um, the history of each mm. each each of us children, right? So whenever you go in, he would know. Okay, <coughs> I mean, some uh, whatever had had happened to you maybe two three years ago, mm. and why this 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 uh situation you are in now could be coming from. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like you would have to tell the GP yourself. Look, my my son or my daughter has this 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 problems prior, mm. and then they're like, "Aha, okay, now we can probably yeah. make a link there." Otherwise, it's, it's actually just, worse. I'll tell you yeah. why worse. If yeah. if if you've had a problem in in one hospital, right? Yeah, and um, let's say down the line you you go um, you, you go to another in another in a, you go to another hospital. Mm. I've had this experience yeah. with a fracture or something. They don't they don't even have the record. Uh-huh. They don't have record of appointments. They have nothing. So you have you've got a hospital number with that hospital. Yes. Because I was thinking under the NHS number, my records would be shared and everything like that. But there's not not everything go not everything goes across. Okay. Right. Okay. And a lot of the time is my in my experience has been that there's no record of of uh, you know the previous appointment or where right. you had. You have to contact them and get it from uh-huh. them and all of that. So this is this it's is a huge problem. And so I was like, how's that? How's it? that? You know, how's how does that make sense? Mm. You know, mm. um, but. Anyway, th- these uh, these issues are there, and uh, hopefully, you know, we're we're able to get through this. We're coming to the end of the program, yes. and, I, and I think one of the things that we should highlight with regards to, you know, some, with regards to the Islamic view on on on, on you know on workers' rights as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the you know the Prophet uh, peace be upon him was told in the Quran that you are the best people ever raised for the good of mankind because you have been raised to serve others. You enjoin what is good and forbid evil, and Allah. And and also believe in Allah. This is chapter three, verse one hundred and eleven. Mm. So, as Muslims, we believe and and, and know that working in in, in in the healthcare and and helping in need, you know, there is a great reward which 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 is priceless, and there is a great emphasis as well from the from the Khalifa of the you know from from uh, of the Hamdi Muslim community as well, where he wants you know us to go into fields such as healthcare, you know, such, such as teaching and all of these things, which which sort of help mankind's move uh, you know move move forward. Uh, now that does not mean, however, that workers should be, should not be given their due. Now, there's a hadith of the Prophet, which is a, you know, you know, a statement of the Prophet, his narration, where he mentions that pay wages of the worker before his sweat is dry. Mm-hmm. So that is very much part and parcel of our religion. Yes. Um, that that you know, taking care of you know those that work for you and um, you know their rights are very very important. Absolutely, I think there the, the, there is another very important discussion is NHS versus private. Mm. Um, what 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 should be there or what is which one is more beneficial for the people? Mm-hmm. So last year, for example, two hundred um, seventy two thousand people in the UK mm. um, paid for private healthcare, which is a record number. 
right? So, I mean, the, the question is, would a private healthcare model maybe work better? Now, for, for, for someone like myself who grew up with, with private healthcare in, in, yeah. in Germany, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was an amazing experience. We never struggled, mm. right? Like, since coming here, I mean, I, I understand the NHS doing a, a credible job when it comes to obviously cutting down the expenses uh, on, the, on the on the patient's part. Mm. But then, if we are not able to get the, the sort of service that's needed, yeah, right. A quick example: um, football injury I had this, 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 a few years back. My first scan appointment I was getting in two and a half months' time mm-hmm. for a knee injury, which is crucial at that time. Yeah, I went back home. Uh, to 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 Germany uh, over my uh, German holidays, yeah, and I had my scans and uh, my assessment and everything done within ten days. Mm. So before I was coming back to the UK, I had everything done over there. So 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 just 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 for the you know understanding of our listeners, what what is sort of the cost that how how does it actually work briefly? If you can just I am look explain it at the moment. I'm not too sure, but I remember back then yeah. we were probably playing about three hundred pounds every three months. Per family per or family okay for the whole family that's not very much it, yeah, it, exactly. it is not it is for the not, entire family for the entire family yeah uh, the, the five of us basically or maybe the four of us back then something like that yeah but i mean that's obviously i'm talking about maybe 15 years ago or so hmm. so prices must have gone up but what i'm trying to say is that if those i mean if, if at that price you can get a certain service yeah. Quick service, reliable yeah. service, um, which gives me. Um, you wouldn't mind paying. Exactly. It's simple. Simple as that. Yeah. Um, now, currently, it seems like uh, a great choice. I mean, sh- shorter waiting times and and obviously modern, new facilities and 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 more personal service. Um, but at the same time, you know, so over more and uh, over time, more and more people uh, will opt for private. Uh, that could obviously lead. Um, yeah. to the NHS you know, you know apologies but you know what it seems like to me mm-hmm. is like it's like people are being forced towards private yes. and there comes a time where there's no they'll say oh there's no other choice for us now to you know to to privatise it it, yeah. it, it it just feels like that potentially you yes. know because yes. because at the end of the day if, if this is important right mm-hmm. NHS and healthcare is important yeah then that should be that that should be the priority, Espe- yeah. especially with the num- numbers that you mentioned, with the old people and where they're heading. You, they've got all these statistics and everything, yeah. but nothing has been done. Yeah, you know that's yeah. that's the point. I mean, I, I don't mean nothing in in a sense that, of course, they're probably making certain policies and some funding is going and some increase in pay and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's not enough. It's not enough to fix fix the issue. I mean, look, in in my opinion, if you do want to privatize it, by all means, but then there should be some sort of of check and balance mm. of how much you can actually charge for this yeah. this, this private healthcare. Then, because mm. what I'm scared of is that it will go private, but then the expenses will be similar to those in the USA, and we are back to square one, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, again. The topic today wasn't really <laughs> bash the NHS. Mm. It was about talking about the NHS <laughs> since we celebrated 75 years this year. Um, no no complaints against the staff whatsoever, no but really against the system and against the people that are making decisions that look 
if you have been granted a certain responsibility and we as Muslims believe that everything, every responsibility that you are being granted is through Allah the Almighty. So if Allah Ta'ala has bestowed certain responsibilities upon you, mm. it is also your duty to look out for, for, for the people um, that Allah Ta'ala has placed under you, mm. that you are supposed to be taking care of, that you're supposed to be providing for and Absolutely. always look out for the benefit and for the betterment and for a good life for everyone uh, that is under you in in uh, quotation marks so that was uh, it for the first hour and we will be back with you in the second hour with another topic um, please do stay with us Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all and welcome back to the second hour of the Thursday live voice of Islam drive time <coughs> You're joined by myself, Salman, and uh, dear brother Raheel. In the second hour, as promised to you earlier, we will be discussing Islam and as the origin of fundamental human rights. And I think Raheel is, uh, as you are the producer of the show as well, you are the right person to give us the introduction and take it from there. Interesting. I mean, Islam, as we know, is a comprehensive way of life, um, which lays a profound foundation for fundamental human rights. Now, the origins of, of, of these rights can be traced back to the very essence of the faith. In Islam, every individual is, is uh, inherently valuable mm -hmm. and, and, and possesses inherent dignity by virtue of being a creation of Allah, mm -hmm. you know, a creation of God. Yeah. The Quran, uh, Islam's holy book, and the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, emphasize the principles of justice, equality, and compassion which underpin the rights of all human beings. Now, these principles encompass the right of life, liberty, and security, uh, as well as the right to freedom of belief, expression, and protection from oppression. Now, in Islamic jurisprudence, which is known as Sharia, you know, a path or a way to live, uh, it also includes principles that safeguard the rights of women, children, and marginalized Communities Now, Islam also emphasizes on social justice, charity and community welfare, uh, community welfare further underscores its, its um, commitment to promoting and protecting the fundamental human rights of all individuals, regardless of their background or belief. So that goes to show um, one who studied, studies Islam comprehensively that it's a way of life and hence we refer to it as a way of life, mm. you know. Um, mm -hmm. That, that everything that that every uh, you know re responsibility and right that we you know that that is demanded of us and that is uh, that we deserve is already mentioned to us you know in the book of Allah in in mm -hmm. the religion of Allah. So, if you look at history mm -hmm. throughout time, ruling powers. Um, across the world have given rise to their subjects according to their understanding. Yeah. Now that's obviously human understanding, right? Yeah, yeah. And as you were mentioning earlier that Islam is actually the source because it's Allah the Almighty which has given us this, this sort of complete guideline when it comes to human rights. Mm -hmm. Now, one more point I think we should emphasize here, Salman, is the fact that Islam is <coughs> what was given to Prophet Adam. Mm -hmm. As Adam alayhi salam. Yes, yes. And, that, and, and so, to, so our understanding of Islam, you know, um, as we know, one th one thing is people know as a religion that was, that you know, the shari sharia that was given to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Whereas the understanding of Islam is that from the very beginning to the time of the Prophet, right, 
the uh, you know the message has been the same mm. all mm-hmm. of these prophets have, have come with the same message according to the time of need and that was perfected at the time of the prophet peace be upon him mm-hmm. right who brought the last law for mankind which had all of these things mentioned that we 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 require and need yes uh, you know for for human beings not just to exist but to prosper exactly exactly so we now know that these um rights which we were talking about earlier which were given to <coughs> given to human beings by the leaders throughout time yeah uh, were either limited uh in what people could do or completely neglected them yeah tortured them or gave freedoms that were ultimately unjust or even dangerous mm-hmm. in modern times for instance the un has identified 30 rights that are deemed basic or universal however to this day national and international laws regarding human rights are being violated be it in the west or the east what needs to happen um for these globally agreed rights to work where does islam come in this so i think that th- these are the questions that we are probably going to be discussing mm-hmm. what needs to happen to heal for these globally agreed rights to work and where i mean from from a from the point of view of let's say our listeners those who don't understand islam yeah the islam that's that's being portrayed in the media today yeah doesn't stand for any rights whatsoever that's right the point, yeah so you, you, you'd be telling uh, i mean the 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 media would be telling people yeah. that look women are being oppressed mm-hmm. there uh, there are honor killings right <coughs> the rich are getting richer the poor is getting poorer so where does islam come into this i mean the point is the the point is one thing is a teaching and one thing is the action of 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 people mm-hmm. um one is the manual right um if if you go to a and the professor gives his example and, he, and 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 he says if you go to a doctor with a with a disease or a con- condition and he prescribes you you know a medicine yeah. right and the amount of the medicine for 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 you to be cured But you say no. I'm only going to take the medicine for a day. Or you say no. I'm not going to take these many pills. But these, but what yeah. I know it to be, then that medicine is not going to work. Mm-hmm. So, so the point is that what God has prescribed in His manual for mankind, what He has given us, yeah. right? If we truly follow it, and that's that's the claim that we're presenting. If we truly follow it, then you would see in a society functioning. uh you know where everybody's rights are protected and 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 humanity as a whole thrives right yeah, yeah. the the you know the life on earth or you know the resources on earth are enough to feed us all it is mm-hmm. enough for you know to keep us alive and to live live, live our lives mm-hmm. now um that was the answer you know the given give, given by the prophet sahab peace be upon him that that one thing is the teaching and one thing is the you know the action of people but his holiness is his his current khalifa of the prophet sahab peace be upon him you know who since ha he has become a khalifa one of the emphasis that i've seen externally with regards to his speeches has been actually to counter this narrative of media right right if one was to study the last you know since 2003 when he was elected as a khalifa yeah. if someone was to study uh, you know um whether it was a peace symposiums or he's gone to the european parliaments and wherever he's gone he's always spoken on the aspects of sharia which mm-hmm. which which is the islamic law mm-hmm. from a human rights perspective mm-hmm. right so countering the narrative that that is you know shown on media now yeah. the, rea- the 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 point is 
what is it that a khalifa or a prophet can do? Because someone say, what difference has it made? Mm. Right? Mm. The Quran tells us that the only responsibility or job of a prophet is to convey the message. Yes. Yeah? Absolutely. Lasta alayhim These are the words. That you're yes. only someone who you know, recites the signs and, and, and actually conveys the, convey the message. Yeah. And in the capacity of that, of, of, of a prophet, the caliph continues that. Mm. And this is what we see that where he, where he internally, you know, guides the community and does the upbringing in a way that they, through their actions, prove his words. So whatever he tells the external world about Islamic human rights and all of these things, yeah. his community actually depicts that. Yes. It proves that, that whatever Khalifa is saying mm. is, is in line with that. Exactly. So now the world has, you know, and it's not something that we're just saying here, but those people, recently we, you were in Germany, I was in Germany, yeah. the annual convention. Yes. You know, five different mosques, if, if, I'm, if I'm correct, yes. if I'm not yes. correct, were, yes. were, you know, you know, were, were inaugurated by His Holiness. Yes. And the local community, as well as the politicians that, that actually came here, that knew the community, what it stands for, mm. and said, if this is what Islam, then we have no is- issues with it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. If this is what Islam is, then, then, then we're, we're more than welcome to accept it even mm-hmm. some, some 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 people have gone on to say that as well yeah. so what is what is that yeah. the, the, the point is now you have people are free to choose what, what they want you have you have these two distinct pictures of Islam that have been portrayed now what that does not mean what I'm saying that every other Muslim is he's portraying Islam in that manner rather you know those that are living in the Western majority do follow and and do try to portray Islam in a good manner mm-hmm. but the point is that the underlying beliefs, and this is what we're going to be discussing to our guest who's going to come on later on, mm. the underlying beliefs with regards to apostasy, with regards to blasphemy, yes. is something that doesn't go in line with what they are saying. Yes, so they preach something and they believe in some something else. Mm. So mm. that's the point. And, and this, this, this is the difficulty that, you know, um, I always say this, that we as, you know, Ahmadis, you know, we have not just, you know, and that was the job of the Messiah, yeah. and the, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, that he had to, um, you know, internally fix the issues, you know, of the Muslims, mm. and also he had to externally, you know, fix fix the issues and 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 resolve problems, and this is what the Khalif of the time is doing, um, you know, we see as I was saying uh, earlier, he's spoken at length about many human rights, and mm. here as well at at, at Jalsa, you know, at at, at the end of con- convention, um, you know, there was. A special gathering held just for uh, this was the forty seventh, I think, annual convention of Germany. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Um, where he spoke to you know there was a separate ad- 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 uh, you know ad- address to the external audience where more than eight hundred eighty people, dignitaries and guests were there. Mm-hmm. Thing on the second day. Yes, and he began and said, Islam does not permit Muslims to propagate their faith coercively yeah. through the abhorrent and destructive power of swords, bombs, or guns, but instead calls on them. To use reason, evidence, and love to win the hearts and man uh, and uh, minds of mm-hmm. mankind, um, and you know he he also mentioned chapter ten verse hundred where he says, "And if thy Lord had enforced His will, surely all who are on the earth would have believed together. Mm-hmm. Wilt thou then force men to become believers?" Yeah. Right. So the point is, Islam as a religion, if you look at it, it's just people have com- you know complicated it. People yeah. have complicated it now, the, and 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 we're going to be speaking about apostasy. I can go on on and on about it, but the mm. the point is just to sum sum summarize it. The efforts of the community's head, the Khalifa, you know, uh, explains what the what the community stands for. 
Yeah. The Khalifa says something, and then his internal tarbiya is the word we use. Mm. His internal, um, you know, upbringing of the community, yeah. you know, um, proves his words. It's a testimony to what what he goes out and says. I think that's the difference um, there is between the Ahmadiyya community today and all of the Muslims, right? Because if there is no one to guide you, <coughs> yeah. if there's no one to explain to you that, look, you mentioned apostasy and blasphemy, etc. Right? Yeah. So what happens is that. On the one hand, they want to explain how Islam is a religion of peace. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they they believe in 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 very um, extreme views as well. Yeah. Right? They shoot themselves in the foot, <laughs> and then there are there and what they do at the end, they say, "Well, this is what we believe in. This is what Islam stands for," mm. because we don't have um, a a intellectual answer. Yeah. To to the allegations. Yeah. Whereas, by the grace of Allah, the Ahmadiyya community who has believed in the Messiah of the time and the Messiah came and has explained to us and has laid it out so beautifully for us yeah. that, look, this is what apostasy means, that's what blasphemy means. It's what were those Islamic wars at front? They were defensive wars and exactly. gone into the detail and everything exactly. explained. So, 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 I mean, we're going to our first guest with, with, with this comment that, that Islam, you know, has, as I was saying, it's easy. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's a religion of ease. Yeah. Right? And and things have been, you know, explained to us by, you know, Allah the, Allah the Almighty in a manner which is understandable. But the point is that now we're living in, in, in time and day where some of these scholars will tell you that if you just read the Quran on your own, you'll be misguided. Yes. Yes. Can you imagine that you need someone to teach you? And what that means is our interpretation should, should be taught. Mm. And mm-hmm. th- this is where things go wrong. And with that, we're going to our first guest. We'll be speaking to uh, uh, Brother Mish Missionary uh, Fatih Tahir, who is uh, currently a professor, mm-hmm. um, you know, in in Jamia and the UK. He's teaching there, I believe, history um, as well as other subjects. Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Drive Time Show today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Fatih, for joining us. So we're speaking, uh, you know, on a topic uh, which is, um, uh, you know, origin of fun- fundamental rights, you know, given in Islam. Uh, and uh, the questions that we wanted to ask you is, is that Islam is often, you know, sort of portrayed, you know, by us, of course, you know, uh, uh, by Muslims that, you know, a religion that provides comprehensive guidance on human rights, you know, including freedom of conscience and religion. However, some individuals, you know, might question, why is it then that there are instances where Muslims seem to act in contradiction to these, you know, principles as described in the textual sources, you know, you know the Quran and the Hadith. And so can you shed light on this, you know, apparent disparity? Yeah, sure. So this is obviously fundamentally down to not understanding Islamic teaching. Mm-hmm. And with that, first and foremost, the Holy Quran, and then the Sunnah of the Holy Prophet and his teachings that we find that are hadith. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because you're right. There's lots of Muslims who are in the name of Islam <coughs> killing, yeah. and the killing, the murdering. We know in Muslim countries there's a lot of issues going on um, over religion as well. Mm-hmm. And if they're not killing or murdering or, you know, doing inhumane acts which actually go against the teachings of Islam, Mm -hmm. then they hold beliefs, like the previous speaker was just saying, they hold beliefs that actually contradict the peaceful teachings of Islam. And this is where the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat 
our community mm-hmm. um, really comes in and fills the gap and explains even to Muslims <coughs> who you know claim to be uh, peaceful and yep. do at least with the actions stay away from these kind of things but we, we explained that actual, in actual fact a lot of your beliefs for example the apostasy beliefs and in the coming of the Mahdi mm-hmm. um, are against the fundamental core teachings of Islam with regards to peace yeah interesting so it's, it's, it's yeah. an issue of understanding interesting I, 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 I mean you know when you speak about let's say Islam being giving you you know um, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion and in the same breath you tell people yeah apostasy you, you know will get you killed uh, you yeah. know, blasphemy will get you killed what sort of a message are you actually you know giving to people and and exactly. and, and, and why I'm asking you that is because you, you probably have seen in the recent you know sort of podcast debate <clears throat> between Christians and Muslims you know regarding their yeah. diff- differences and 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 the the issue that I have with that is 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 when people watch that, they would think these yeah. two individuals that were sitting there they represent the entire Muslim Ummah, exactly. which is not the case. Exactly. So so this topic of apostasy, like you know, uh, you know, arose uh, you know the the punishment for you know apostasy with the Muslim side basically yeah. suggesting that you know the you know the the answer that they basically gave was was that this also you know exists in your book. And that was the only answer that I saw. I didn't see any Quranic verses yeah. being mentioned. You know. Uh, you know, or any sort of you know context given whatsoever. So, could you please, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, clarify the Islamic perspective on, let's say, yeah. you know, blasphemy as well as you know apostasy uh, and its you know associated uh, yeah. consequences, please. So, so historically, you know, one thing we have to remember: the people who were on the PBD Religious Roundtable podcast, mm-hmm. they said that you know <laughs> the main Sunni belief is that. If you leave in Islamic State, if you leave Islam, you are um, eligible to be killed, mm-hmm. right? Under a through a court hearing, but ultimately <coughs> the punishment is death. This is completely against the teaching of the Holy Quran. And one thing we have to remember mm-hmm. that the classical scholars and even today a lot of other um, scholars yeah. do not believe this. They don't believe this, yeah. right? It's not. This is not a true representation of Islam. Yes, it's a prevalent belief, mm. but we have to clarify that there's plenty of Muslims who do not believe this. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is the Quran and the actions of Prophet Muhammad are completely in uh, contradiction to this belief. Mm-hmm. So the Quran is very clear. It says, that there is no compulsion in religion. Now, this cannot be interpreted into saying that, no, there's no compulsion into putting you into Islam. Mm-hmm. However, when you leave Islam, you know, you are compelled. It doesn't make any sense because... Some try to say that this is what the meaning is, but it's not. The meaning is very clear. And there's no compulsion in religion whatsoever. Yeah. Then there's one verse which is very, very clear, mm-hmm. and you really can't argue against this, yeah. which proves that there's no punishment for apostasy. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about apostasy in another sense as well, where the confusion happens. Mm-hmm. So in the Quran, Allah says, and I'll read out the translation. This is from chapter 4, verse 138. Mm-hmm. Those who believe, mm-hmm. so they, they believe, they become Muslims. Mm-hmm. Then they disbelieve. Mm-hmm. Then again they believe. Then they disbelieve. So they're disbelieving a second time now. Mm-hmm. And then increase in disbelief, disbelief. Allah will never forgive them, nor will He guide them to the way. So yeah. if it was an Islamic junction that once you leave Islam, it's death, Allah would not mention that someone has accepted Islam, then he's left, 
Then mm. he's attempted Islam again, then he's left again. That possibility wouldn't have happened. It would have mm. been that he leaves Islam, he gets killed, right? Then there's lots of other verses, you know, that Allah says, whoever wills should believe, whoever doesn't want to believe, they don't have to believe. And we know from the seerah of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as well, there were plenty of Muslims, mm-hmm. or people who, who said they accept Islam, and then they left. Mm. So the Quran is very clear, and the Holy Prophet didn't carry out these punishments. Where he did carry out punishment, now this is the caveat which we have to add, and this is where Muslim uh, scholars have got it wrong as well, is that there's another kind of apostasy, which is, it's, it's been lost in translation, it's been lost in understanding. Okay. So during the time of the Prophet of Islam, there were certain people who left Islam, but they didn't just merely leave Islam quietly. Mm-hmm. They became enemies of Islam, Hmm. in terms of rebelling against the Muslim state and aiming to kill Muslims. Hmm. So they got mixed under one umbrella as, oh, these are the apostates. So you have the wars on apostasy, hmm. right? Makes About sense. Um, Hazrat Abu Bakr, uh, the Rida wars. Yep. These were not normal people who just say, we don't believe in Islam anymore. These hmm. were people who left and they joined the people who were attacking Muslims. I mean, killing Muslims, right? This is very... I have to be very clear here. Yeah. They were waging war against Muslims, mm-hmm. right? They were then said that these people deserve death because they are literally committing an act of war and rebellion and mm. murder. So this is where the confusion has happened. And a lot of the scholars on um, Muslim scholars on social media have clarified this as well. They've said that, look, in Islamic legal theory, yeah. there are certain people they now the language isn't the best use from they just called apostates yeah so they, it's not clarified that what kind of apostates are there are people who are leaving a religion yeah. and then going out and killing muslims yeah. those people there is verdict on them that obviously you know anyone even under british law any under yeah. a, any other law if you murder someone um you're going to be trialed in a very severe um manner yeah. and in america we know as well capital punishment if you kill someone it's capital punishment uh, yeah. life imprisonment so on and so forth. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's a yeah. very, very powerfully mentioned, very beautifully mentioned as well, and comprehensively that it's not just, um, it's not just you leaving the faith because you, you, you mentioned, yes. let me just wrap it up for our listeners that are listening, and you didn't just mention the Quran, you know, the, the ultimate source of guidance for Muslim, where Allah says there's no, there's no doubt in it, right? And then, then, yeah. then you mentioned, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, you know the the which is known as the Sunnah. You know the, you know, the doing of the Prophet, right? Which which yeah. clarified and explains what what the Quran is saying. In it, we have examples where where people believed and left. And and one of the examples that come to my mind, Father, Father, correct me if I'm wrong. It, it it was at the time of Hudaybiyah that one of the conditions was that yeah. if was some someone was to come, you know, become a Muslim yeah. from 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 them, they would have to be sent back. And if that was against, you know, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Sharia and and uh, yeah. which, which is of course the law of Islam, uh, and yeah. against apostasy, then you know they weren't killed, and also they were one of the companions who went to, uh, you know, who migrated to Abyssinia or something, and and became a Christian, and so so you have all of these yeah. examples, right? Where loads of examples, yeah. yeah. And but but what was the last thing that you mentioned? Yeah, you you mentioned so so you were saying that so it's just, it's not just apostasy, but apostasy with treason. Uh, you know, something would be treason where. Where yeah. you, you actively try to harm the Muslim yeah. community, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Not, by joining not, the other not, side. Yeah, not just verbally. We're not <coughs> talking about some verbal abuses. We're talking about murder. Mm. You are joining the people who now want to murder Muslims. Because anyone who's read the history of Islam, they know yeah. that there was 
a whole group of people who went out and they waged the war against Muslims first, mm. right? And this continued throughout the centuries. So there were certain people who left Islam and then they joined those people who said, let's go and murder Muslims as well. Mm. They were declared as apostates as well. And in translation, it's been, you know, confused over someone who simply leaves their religion without, you know, they don't believe in Islam anymore, for example. Mm. In Islamic, in, Islam, in Islamic law, that's perfectly allowed. But throughout the um, uh, centuries, there's also, in Islamic legal theory, there have been apostates. They've been called apostates, mm-hmm. right? But people <coughs> put them all under one um, umbrella. They were a specific kind of apostates. And there were those apostates who left Islam and then uh, aimed to murder Muslims as well. They were declared that their, their punishment is yeah. um, death, which is mm. fair. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And and Fatir, very briefly mentioned, I mean, I do want to mention for the benefit of our listeners, and if you can, you know, uh, answer this question as well, as a sort of a methodology. So let's say, you know, pe- people who are non-Muslims, they hear Muslims on social media, you know, some of them which, which are, you know, which call themselves, you know, in quotation marks, traditional Muslims. Uh, yeah. where, where they present certain interpretation and and people just take it to be what it is, you know, whatever they're saying. So could you maybe for the benefit of them, uh, you know, exp- provide sort of an overview of the sources of guidance within Islam? Although I understand yeah. it from what, what what you were stating, but explain their, you know, relative importance, uh, you know, in particular, could you, you know, yeah. also explain their role as well? Yeah, look, the first and foremost is the word of Allah, which all Muslims accept, is the only source today, which is, unchanged and is directly the word of Allah, right? Allah says that there is no doubt in this book. Mm. So the Quran is the first source of guidance for Muslims and it should be for Muslims. And this is something with which the founder of the Hamdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Islam, highlighted. He said that the first <coughs> and foremost thing is the Holy Quran. Mm-hmm. Any tradition of the Prophet وسلم, which we call the Hadith, which contradicts the Quran, we will not accept. Unless there's another meaning which we can fit into the Quranic meaning, mm. right? So the first is the Quran, then is the Sunnah, i.e. the practice of the Prophet Wasallam, which has been sent down through the practice of the Muslims throughout the centuries. And then there's the Hadith as well, right? The Hadith are the written narrations of the Prophet Wasallam, which, yeah. by the way, have a very strict means of um, identifying their authenticity. However, there is still a lot of weakness in them because they are narrations. Mm-hmm. They are not the um, <coughs> direct word of Allah. So as Ahmadi Muslims, this is what we, we, um, we have been taught, and this is what makes logical sense as well, yeah. that the Quran is the fundamental um, arbiter, the fundamental book which we uh, adhere to. And then it, we have the Sunnah and the Hadith. So we look at the Sunnah and the Hadith under the light of the Quran. Interesting. Very, very, very important. So, so, so let me just summarize for our listeners. So, what Fatih, you're, you're basically saying is, if someone comes up with these sort of interpretations, you know, that let's say you come across this video online where someone's mentioning these things, someone who's not a Muslim should first yeah. study the Quran, should yeah. themselves yeah. open the Quran up and say, where is he getting this message from? And if it contradicts the Quran clearly, then know that this person is not representing the Quran. Okay, he has his, you know, his 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 own interpretation about it. And if there are incidents from the Prophet's life, you know, which contradict that, then then also know that this person. And and then if his statement is going down that route, so this is sort of the, uh, you know, methodology that you 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 know you've uh, you know explained very beautifully beautifully. You also uh, you know mentioned earlier, uh, 
you know, into the historical perspective of apostasy in Islam. I think you already um, mentioned a lot on it. Do you want to add something to it? You know, whether there are historical instances where individuals were punished, including with death, solely for apostasy. Was there any incident like that or or not at all? No, no. So so we we take the life of the Holy Prophet Mm -hmm. and the life of his Sahaba and the Khulafa, the rightly guided Khulafa. Mm-hmm. And there was no instances where they put someone to death merely because they had left Islam. So this is the onus on, on proof is on the other Muslims to prove this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, 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 there, were, there were reasons of treason, yeah. right? There was reasons of rebellion against the state. There was um, planning to kill or um, telling others to kill as well. There's incidences of that. So people on that occasion were put to the death and because the Prophet was the head of state of Medina. Mm-hmm. He was in charge. Yeah. And that happened. But never did someone, just because of leaving their faith, um, was, were they uh, ta- uh, taught by the Prophet that they have to be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just one thing I, have to, I, I, I want to mention is, is, is the important point that you yeah. mentioned is how are those people who are not Muslims taking this when they're listening to muslims yeah um on the pbd podcast or whatever saying that they you, like how you know it's it's taking the religion of islam the the religion that the prophet actually taught and it's making the job of other muslims like the Ahmadiyya muslim community much more difficult um mm. because you're preaching the wrong islam by saying that apostates should be killed and it's funny because you're also living in the west so you say you're enjoying the freedom of religion of the West, mm-hmm. while saying that actually no, if you're in a Muslim country, you would be killed if you left, just left Islam. Islam. Yeah, right. So like, it's a, it's a hypocrisy going on there. Mm-hmm. And um, the second thing is you're tainting the image of Islam, the true image of Islam. And this is why we always encourage other Muslims to listen to what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has has to say to listen to our current caliph, Azim is a Muslim, may Allah be his helper. Mm-hmm. And like you said, see where the sources are. What sources is he using? He always uses the Quran to prove his points. Mm-hmm. And then the, see the, the, the life and times of the Prophet Muhammad <coughs> and his sayings. And that will be very clear for someone. Mm-hmm. Very briefly mentioned, and Father, one of the things that I, one of the things that I pick, picked up, right, with, with regards to this, in a specific podcast, and after, you know, yeah. whatever happened after, you know, all the chats on Twitter and all of these things is that it's, it's appalling to see that, you know, the Muslim community, some of them, are, you know, I, I would say that that align their, you know, their views with these people, they consider it a win to simply mm-hmm. state that, oh, apostasy also exists in your books. Therefore, that was a win. Yeah, exactly. Imagine not mentioning any context, not mentioning Quranic verses or anything within the two hours that you had the time to reach to thousands of people. And give them a you know a, a very clear and pure concept of the Quran, something beautiful, right? And 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 also something that you believe is uncorrupted. And it came to correct previous scriptures, and and you, you know, sort of accepted just yeah. you know just saying this to people that oh it also exists in your book, so you you know you can't say anything about it. So I think that was the one thing that 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 you know was really appalling to see. But one of the questions that we have for you, lastly, is is that. You know, regarding the issue of interpretation. Now, you know, people that see, let's say, you know, one party saying one thing, the other party saying another thing, but then they see, let's say, Muslim countries, let's say Afghanistan or, you know, any other countries where they have 
such laws, right? Regard this issue of interpretation, you know, there appears to be sort of two main camps where those who adhere to more literal or traditionalist interpretation, as per se, and those who adopt a more, you know, as per the people modernist perspective, right? And firstly, first of all, could you address the point whether these terms, right, modernist, traditionalist, and you know, all of this is accurately descriptive? Secondly, it seems that the literal interpretation here that you mentioned from the Quran that was a literal interpretation. You added, you added nothing yeah. into it, right? Does yeah, not explicitly yeah. endorse the killing of any apostates or anything like that. So, could you, you know, ala- you know, elaborate yeah. on these two points? Because because sometimes you you take something to be traditionalist because they dress in a certain way, but whereas that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So look again when people are talking about Muslims, they'll talk about a tradi- traditionalist or maybe a liberal or a modernist. Now. These all these terminologies, like you're saying, you find within them as well. There's discrepancies, right? A traditionalist will say that you know I accept that there is apostasy in Islam, whereas, like you're saying, the literal reading which they take from the Quran actually goes against apostasy. Mm. So they are usually staying um, sticking to what the ulama have said, the scholars, the historical classical scholars of Islam, or whoever they are. Yep. Now, the more liberal kind of Muslims or the modernist Muslims will kind of um, disagree heavily with the, a lot of the traditional scholarship of Islam. And they'll say that we need um, new interpretation. But then they'll go to another extreme as well in terms of mm-hmm. allowing, permitting things that which Islam actually doesn't permit or having views on things which actually the Prophet ﷺ didn't have. That's why the, it's very important that the Prophet ﷺ Prophet Muhammad, he said that a person will come who would be the arbiter, who would decide what is the true Islam after so many years have passed since me, i.e. the Prophet, right? When Islam will be distorted, and he actually made a prophecy that Islam will be distorted. Mm. He said that the scholars of Islam would be corrupted, they'll be misguided, they wouldn't know what the true Islam is. Mm. And that's why, as Ahmadis, we believe, Islam was that person who the Prophet prophesied about mm-hmm. and now we are following the true islam which the prophet originally had preached and mm-hmm. you'd see and that's why we encourage everyone to read the literature yep. of the ahmadiyya muslim community and to listen to the content that the ahmadiyya muslim community is giving forth the the speeches and addresses of our caliph and then you can judge yourself and like i said they, we use the Qur'an, we have a firm basis of the, in the Qur'an and the narrations of the Prophet ﷺ and his life. So, you know, traditionists can claim that they are being traditional in the sense of what the Prophet said, but yeah. we can show so many discrepancies. And the modernists as well. There's, there's issues on both sides. And the Ahmadiyya Muslim community claims that we have the true Islam as it was taught by the Prophet ﷺ and the proof is in the pid- pudding. Yeah. We encourage all, everyone listening, even right now who's listening listen to Voices of Islam, yep. to go and listen to the content of our caliph, his addresses, and you can decide for yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Any last comments? I mean, you, 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 you've already stated it. Uh, one, of, one of the books I do want to mention for our listeners, specifically on this issue of apostasy in Islam, the fourth caliph, uh, Khalifa of the, uh, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, is Tahir Ahmed. Uh, you know, he actually delivered an address uh, on the annual conference 
held in Islamabad, uh, Tilford here in the UK, um, on the 27th of July 1986, which was later published into a book with uh, 191 pages. And the topic is the truth about the alleged punishment for apostasy in Islam. He goes over every single incident that people mention with regards to you know, uh, no. you know, it being allowed and all of this, all of these things. But yeah, Father, once again, Jazakallah, may Allah bless you. Thank you so much for coming on Jazakallah. and giving us your insight. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So uh, we had with us a guest caller, Atal Fatir Tahir, a dear friend and also a missionary of the Amda community. Mm. Currently, um, professor at uh, the. And the Institute of uh, Theology and Modern Languages, and I mean, great intellectual, I would say, discourse we just heard yeah. from from both of you. Um, I hope that our listeners um, could take away mm-hmm. uh, the 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 core message. But Rahil, if you were to summarize, let's say in thirty seconds, if you were to summarize the the, the conversation you just had. What would it be for a listener who isn't very well versed with religion or Islam specifically? Yeah, one thing is that Islam, <clears throat> as as a religion, is is something that's very much clear and apparent. Mm. There are sources of Islam as a methodology. You have to see once when you see these things online, which is the Quran, uh, the doing of the Prophet, and the sayings of the Prophet. These three things. Yeah. Right. And and you have to do it in this order. This is the order that that is given to us by the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. Mm. Quran is something that's unchanged. You know, all mm. of these things. Mm. The main thing we discussed was with regards to apostasy and you know all of these things that being and there was there was a podcast. You know that took place, and many un-Islamic things were stated in there. Yes, because there was nothing, nothing of Islam that was men- mentioned with regards to its verses, any hadith, or nothing, and simply just defending an idea that you have in your mind, mm. right? Mm. Um, and then moving forward, I think one of the points beautifully mentioned by Fatir is the need for an Imam in this time. Yes, the the you know the time demands for the coming of a reformer, mm-hmm. which the Holy Prophet peace be upon him had prophesied. In his time, yeah. he had prophesied that the Ma'uma would, uh, you know, um, would be divided into seventy-three sects. Mm. We see it. We see it happening. Yeah. If all of these uh, prophecies have been fulfilled with regards to, um, you know, the uh, the the uh, the state of the Ummah, mm. you know, by Ummah we mean the you know, the Muslims, then the others should also be accepted with regards yeah. to the coming of a reformer. Yeah. And the last thing I want to men- mention, which is the point Fatin mentioned very beautifully, is that. This, don't get sort of confused by the terms traditionalist, modernist, and all of these things. Mm. Don't get confused by that because the reality is, the Prophet Muhammad never claimed to be any of that. He yes. came, he came to reform Islam and bring it back to the purest form at the time of the Prophet. Exactly. An exception never becomes a rule. Yeah. And where where you find things from the life of the Prophet, let's say, uh, you know, you've, uh, there's a verse which is often mentioned, "Kill them wherever you yeah. should find them." Right? Yeah. There's an entire context. Mm. You know about you know about those verses, and it's about combatant disbelievers who are attacking you. Whatever you find them, what are you going to do? You're not going to hug them and kiss them. <laughs> you know you're, you're you're going to defend yourself. Mm. Whereas when it comes to uh, talking about those who um, you know who are not fighting you, it's, it's just takes take them to their refuge place. Yes. Don't cut trees. Don't do all of these things. So so I think people that want to read, people that want to study, know Islam to be what what it, what, it, what it is. But this is for those that come across these you know uh, you know these corrupted yeah. interpretations of Islam. And this, this, this is why you know we want to cover that, that really in a lot more detail. Stems from the fact that they don't have leadership. Yeah, um, the very word, important point. The, the word khilafat and imam uh, has 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 been brought up a lot of times today. But the reason why we are emphasizing on this so much is because, unfortunately, the ummah today is maybe running around like a headless chicken, mm-hmm. right? They don't know what to do. 
Mm-hmm. So every so-called scholar is going to come up with his own interpretation. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes ask myself, if, if a football team, a small football team cannot function without a coach, how can you expect the whole Ummah to function <coughs> with, with, without true leadership? Right, and we have seen, and again, as it was prophesied by the Prophet ﷺ, that over the past fourteen, now fifteen centuries, um, because there was no leadership for the Ummah, right? The Ummah went astray, and we became into seventy-plus sects, and everyone has their own point of views. This is why there is the need of an Imam. This is why, and this is why you were so beautifully mentioning earlier in regards to the Khalifa al-Masih, the the current Caliph of the Amir community, who doesn't just um, talk, rather he stands for what he says and he put, portrays Islam in such a beautiful way mm-hmm. that it, it becomes very um, um, accessible yeah. and very acceptable for everyone yeah. that, that's listening. Yeah. This is where, I mean, um, you were mentioning the, the recent tour of, of, of Germany. Now, mm-hmm. growing up with Germans, I can tell you one thing, yeah. that two plus two is four for them. <laughs> there is the, the there is n- nothing around that, right? Those people are very straightforward. So if you if something makes sense to them, it, it does. If not, they just tell you. Mm-hmm. So for those um, listeners, for for the audience to come up afterwards and say, look, this is the Islam which is acceptable to us. This is the Islam that we can bring into our community without having to do to, to fear of, of 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 maybe extremism or something like that. Yeah, that tells you volumes. Mm-hmm. about what's been done on the part of the MDA community and the caliph of the MDA community. Beautiful. I, I, I think when exceptions or, or, or incident related to a particular time become the common narrative, yeah. that's when where you have the issues. When the beauty of Islam is, you know, because this is one of the prophecies that uh, the prophet would say that these people have thrown Quran in on you know behind their backs, mm-hmm. yeah. and also the you know chapter nine verse thirty one says ittakhadu ahbarahum wa ruhbanahum arbaba min dunillah that they have taken their learned men and their monks for lords beside Allah. Exactly. Meaning the word of God says something else and it's clear and it's apparent. Yeah. And they they will come no 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 my scholar interpreted in this manner and that has to be accepted, and this is the issue that we have. You know, um, with 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 such distorted uh, you know understanding, yeah. Islam is what it is, right? And um, at the time of the Prophet, yes, uh, there were religious wars that they were fought, yeah. and and there are c- clear commandments on that. Mm-hmm. But what is a universal teaching for the all of time? Yeah, like Rahafidin, there's no compulsion in religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoever wants to believe, believe. Whoever wants to reject, reject. It is in the and the Prophet is told in You are only someone who conveys the message. Yeah. Like you're not a guardian over them. You're not there someone to force them mm-hmm. into believing. So these are categorical verses in the Quran. That I mentioned for people to read. Lakum <laughs> for your, your religion. It's very simple. Right? Every kid reads this. Straightforward. Now yeah. you're going to say, no, we need an interpretation for this and this and that. Yeah. And you know, so the point is that that if if you know um, if you want Islam to be accepted, it, yeah. ha- it has to be the Islam of the Holy Prophet. Exactly. You know, it's not the Islam of your distorted understanding and your old you know mm. interpretations that you've concocted in your bed- bedroom or something. Yeah. You know, so that's not the uh, that's not the way uh, things move forward. But this, I mean. See, so the point is, and, and this show is the evidence of it, of yeah. the fact that the beauty goes behind. We mm. only have 10 minutes. We haven't yeah. even discussed what sort of rights Islam presents, yes. all these things. Yes. The allegation part takes majority of the time. Yeah. And this is the issue that mm-hmm. Muslims need to say, that we need to present the beauties of Islam to people. Right? We yeah. need to present what Islam is and the, the most dominant factor of Islam is. You know, one of the main things that I, I want to mention with regards to it is the foremost thing is the right of life. 
mm. right? The, whoever kills a human being, this is the right of living. Yeah. Basically, whoever kills a human being without any reason, manslaughter or corruption on land, it is as though he had killed all mankind. Mm. And in other verses, it's وَمَنِ أَحْيَاهَا فَكَأَنَّمَا أَحْيَاهَا نَاسَ I think exactly. that's the verse, أَحْيَاهَا نَاسَ جَمِيعَا That is, and one who, you know, um, gives a life as if he has given life to the whole of mankind. Yeah. So, the, so, you know, the, the right for safety, respect for the chastity of women, the right for basic standard of life, individuals' right for freedom, the, you know, the slave trade, how the yeah. slaves are freed. These are the beauties, of the, you know, the rights of justice to an extent that even if you have to give testimony against yourself or your, your family or someone, yes. you should stand up for justice, right? Exactly. That, that, that the enmity of another nation should not, you know, comp- should not force you to lie against them or... Yeah. You know, give a false testimony against them. These, these are, are the te- such. I mean, these are such basic but beautiful instructions of the Holy Quran and the Prophet Now, we, we talk about this in in sort of a normal um, circumstances where life is going on as normal, right? Yeah. But when look at the times when the Prophet is is going for a battle. Mm. Even then, he is <coughs> telling his armies that look, there are certain standards. There are certain lines you will not be crossing. Mm. You won't be touching children or women or elderly or or cattle or houses of worship or the, the I mean the, the the trees and the fields and the and the nature etc. Right. So even in such extreme circumstances where yeah. all of your focus would be annihilating the enemy. Exactly. That's what's been the case. Wipe them out. You can you can go and search any you know civilization and 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 how they've dealt with people mm. and I'm just we're coming to the end of the program anyway, just yeah. that last you know the way the Prophet conquered Makkah yes in that humility oh. and in that in that for, 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 for forgiveness yes should be enough for people to realize yeah, yeah. that his intention wasn't to rule or anything no. <clears throat> right and he had every right to punish these people oh yes right people who were the reason for his daughter's death who was the reason for him being kicked out of that city and now yes. he comes in with his full glory yes. as the bible said with 10000 you know companions yes. from the mount of faran he en- enters it yeah. and and the companions mentioned that his 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 body was you know um leaning yeah in 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 humility on one side of the camel yes. that he was so this is i mean it's 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 uh, unfortunate that we have to spend so much time in answering al- allegations and, and dealing with issues which are, you know, which are um, a blot on the face of Islam. Yeah. Let, let's be very honest about it. Mm. Whereas the rights, as you were mentioning, the rights for, uh, you know, the combatant, you know, the e- even the enemies, mm-hmm. right? The, mm. and, 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 and just one thing I would mention, you know, the, the, the God Almighty requires for us in, in the Holy Quran, it says, except those of the idolaters, with whom you have entered into a treaty and who have not subsequently failed you in anything nor aided anyone against you. No. So fulfill to these the treaty you have made with them till their term. Surely Allah loves those who are righteous. And the Prophet said, in accordance with his commandment, he says, Allah's Messenger gave a Muslim the capital punishment who had killed a dhimmi. Dhimmi mm. means who was under the covenant yeah. you know, at, at, at that time, a non-Muslim who lives under the Muslim rule, right? Mm, mm. With the Muslims and said, I'm closest to the ones who honor their covenants of protection. Yeah. He could have said, oh, he's a believer, he's made a mistake. No, yeah. the law is the law, mm. right? And this goes to show, um, you know, the, the truthfulness upon which the, you know, the Prophet was standing. And mm. there's so many examples. I mean, you know, we, we can mention the rights of enemies, um, yeah. You know, um, it says, "Depart in the name of Allah, depart in Allah's name and adhering to the religion of Allah and His Messenger. Do not kill a uh, an old man or a young infant or a child or a woman. Do not be dishonest 
and keep the spoils of war together. Rectify your actions and do good, for surely Allah loves those who do good. And we have examples from the companions that continue after the time yeah. of Azza Umar, peace be upon him. Yeah. When, you know, these, uh, I think it was in Palestine, in, yeah. in, in, in the area when, when the, 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 I think it was the Romans or others that, that attacked them yeah. and they couldn't, you know, uh, provide them safety and, you know, as, as part of, um, you know, to those non, to, to, I think to, to the Jews at the time or mm. the Christians, yeah. they gave back their taxes yeah. and they said, we don't want, we, since we cannot give, provide you protection, we cannot provide you, you know, with the, with the means to protect mm. yourself, mm. then, you know, we're not worthy of, of, you know, we're not obliged to keep these, you know, yeah. these, pos- uh, these possessions and these and taxes. And not just that, when the Muslims were leaving uh, the area, the people that used to live in the area, they were crying and those were Christians. Mm-hmm. The Christians were crying because the Muslims had to leave, and why? Because they were treated in in such a just way, right? There is also the example um, I was I was reading somewhere of mm-hmm. um, uh, of a caliph, and it, it mentions that Hazrat Umar at that place. But I'm not too sure, so I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to take. So it says that um, a a Christian priest of the area, which which was taken over by, by Muslims, he asked to pray together mm. with the caliph. And uh, he, he said, well, why don't you come to my uh, church and we will pray together. And the caliph said, look, wherever I pray, they will erect a mosque. Hmm. So let us not pray in your church because they will demolish your church and erect a mosque. Rather, let's pray somewhere else. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now, why is a Muslim leader standing up for the rights of Christians like that? Again, we, we are talking about extreme times. We're, t- we're talking about uh, military in action, battles going on. But despite that, they, they are always going to be taking care of the rights of human beings. Mm. So how much are they going to be looking after the rights of human beings in, in normal circumstances? We we look at, for example, uh, the, 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 the West has introduced um, child, mm. child benefits. Yeah. Uh, maybe... Uh, uh, Hundred years ago, or something, yeah, yeah. which were introduced by the second caliph of Islam, Umar, fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred years. And this ago. The, 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 I think I, I remember from the caliph's speech in uh, in Germany. Yeah, yeah, I think this was this was one of the well, one uh, of the things examples, that, that yeah. ex- examples he gave, and he's mm. been giving the, the as I was mentioning every the the rights that Islam has given, right? The, yeah. the fundamental human rights is such an easy thing to just say it, you know, yeah. as a topic, but it has taken him sermons upon sermons. Speeches upon speeches, going to different parliaments of the world, and yes. and speaking on one aspect for yeah. you know one or two hours, yeah. right? And this is an ongoing thing. Yeah. So you know this goes to show, and 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 you're absolutely right. It, w- it was as Umar uh, and it yeah. says at the time of the siege, uh, patriarch Sophronius, a representative of Byzantine government and a leader of the, the Christian Church, was in charge of Jerusalem. And realizing yeah. the resistance was pointless, and after a siege, approximately four months. Uh, in the Christians in Jerusalem decided to surrender and the Muslim conquest of Jerusalem was bloodless. Mm. Very important. However, uh, Sophronius had one condition. He would surrender the keys to the city only if the Caliph Umar uh, would come to Jerusalem himself to receive the keys, accept, accept the surrender and sign a peace pact. And this is what happened. And they, of course, there are differing uh, you know, accounts and in that he had asked Hazrat Umar to, you yeah. know, to pray, in the, uh, you know, pray in the church. Yeah. And, and, and he declined saying that if I do, yeah. then Muslims would take this and turn this into a into a mosque exactly. until today that that church is there if, if, if you know if one goes in so this is the beauty that we saw where christians and and the muslims and the and 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 the jews live together mm. you know in um, in you know in palestine nowadays whatever is happening that that is that history is overlooked oh, yes. right they never had a problem with each other they lived lived among each other yeah. so i think this is where we you know we're coming to the end of the program um but what we need to realize is every one of us has 
you know, a duty. Every one of us, you know, whoever's listening in who's a Muslim, you have a duty to portray the religion and, 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 and the deen of your Prophet in a manner, you know, that 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 gives us gives it its due right. Right? Mm-hmm. That when Allah calls him you know, Rahmatullah Alameen, the mercy for mankind, you cannot present him, you know, as a you know as 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 a prophet of you know, killing and, you know, horror and, you know, you know the stories that, uh, you know, people have ascribed, you know, towards him. Mm. So so that's the issue, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, uh, Salman, over and over again, that a certain incident at the time of the Prophet doesn't become a rule. Mm. The rule was, was mentioned in the Quran, yeah. right? The rules is, is, is what we mentioned earlier. None of you have faith until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself, yeah. right? The rights for neighbors and all of these things. So, I mean, this one hour is, is, is not sufficient for, you know, for us to... Um, you know, we can you know we can ever cover this topic in depth. I think there is a book written by um, Sazafullah Khan. Yes, please m- mention that. Um, Islam and human rights. Islam and human rights. I think that be- beautifully summarizes mm-hmm. um, how Islam has has given rights to human beings from the most basic to the 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 really tricky ones. I'd say yeah. is everything mentioned there. So if if our uh, listeners would would like to read and understand. More and this and is written by someone who was who served as a judge and president of the International Court of Justice exactly. himself. Yep. Um, so that's why. I mean, he's seen the he's seen himself how the development of UN and all of these things. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's 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 also very very important. I think one important thing for all of our listeners, uh, those that are not Muslims, is to understand that look, always read, yeah. always educate yourself before believing in something because yeah. we all know. What the media is about these days. Yeah. There are so many agendas and, and uh, things going uh, on behind the scenes. Please, please, whenever you hear something, either speak to someone that that knows the subject, yeah. or read for yourself, educate yourself, and I, I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that eighty five ninety percent of of your doubts would go away anyways. Yeah, and and that's what happens when people go to the sources and they read. They, you know, many of the opponents actually become Muslims themselves. There's numerous examples. Um, you know, in this day and age. So we're coming to the end of the program. I would like to end with a quote. Uh, His Holiness, the Khalifa al-Masih, uh, who's the fifth caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, who said, these are the rights by establishing which we can spread a spirit of peace and security in the society and the world. Otherwise, there is no guarantee of peace in the world. So we're coming to the end of the program. Thank you so much to other producers and everyone else. Assalamu alaikum wa